Hello, you are listening to the April episode of Dithering Preview, which is a show that is effectively a free sample of Dithering. Dithering is a podcast hosted by me, John Gruber, and my co-host, Ben Thompson. Hello, Ben. Hello. I just want to say, if queer you prepared for this, very smooth, good delivery, an improvement over our past ones, uh, except this is the March podcast, not the April one. <laughs> well, see? I wasn't sure which way we we do it. I don't. I wasn't sure if the April show has the March highlights or if this is the March show because it has the March highlights. Either way, it works. Anyway, the real Dithering is a paid podcast. You go to dithering.fm. You can sign up there. It's five bucks a month or fifty bucks a year, which, if you do the math, saves you ten bucks, and you get a few episodes per week. <laughs> Two going forward, fifteen minutes. Per episode, not a minute less, not a minute more. Dithering preview, this, what you're listening to me tell you about right now, what you're listening to, uh, is a clip show where we let you get a sample of the best of the episodes from the previous month, which would be March 2021. Let's do it. March 3rd, email pixels. There's lots of information you get when you load external assets. This is sort of the nature of computers. Like computers are just like spewing data everywhere all the time. <laughs> like That's how computers work. And so email does the same thing, but it's attached by definition to an email address. So you can do it very easily on a sort of per user basis in a way that's more difficult with a web page. And so I completely get sort of the the, the reaction, the pushback to it, and, and the reason why people feel very feel very strongly that this is sort of a bad thing and that clients should should protect them from it. Yeah, and maybe my, you know, to really zoom out to the macro level, it's it's just sort of me trying to raise a bit of awareness and and just sort of get like a message out like, hey, this whole thing has been overlooked, like in a way that there are an awful lot of privacy features in web browsers, actual browser browsers like Safari and Chrome and Firefox. And and we debate them endlessly, right? We, we debate them on this show and, and talk about these privacy and tracking features in browsers. And yet our email clients have almost universally become de facto web browsers where they load image resources over HTTP and they're expected to, and that's how the images in mail messages are loaded, and it turns them into web browsers, and nobody's really thinking about it from a privacy perspective. March 5th, Google's new tracking. This flock thing that is completely done in the browser, and instead of processing it or even knowing it in the cloud, will do it entirely in your browser. Whereas what the EFF is saying is, no, the problem is ad tracking and in the first place. And that delivering customized ads, whether you know that it's John Gruber or just technically savvy person on the East Coast of the U.S. who frequently, for whatever weird reasons, is shopping for belts the last week, that in and of itself is a problem. Maybe not that particular cohort, but there could be other ones. And that your cohort, and, and there's all sorts of things people do on the browser that, that they may not want to be put in their cohort, you know? Yeah, I mean, we can disagree about like the validity of tracking or sort of targeted ads, I should say, because I know, I think you and I are just, we're kind of on fundamentally different sides of that. I think there is tremendous, it's a trade off, but I think the value does outweigh the negatives. But I think we maybe both agree that this is worse than what was happening before. Because at least before, like, there's some comfort that at least 
yeah, Google has all my data, but like Google has like, it, at least it's all, they're the only ones that can make sense of all of it. It's sort of all there. Whereas now I'm like walking around the internet holding up a sign saying, this is my cohort. And sure, Google knows that cohort better than anyone else because they created the cohort, right? But all these other sites are going to start saying, oh, this cohort, they're going to like start learning what different cohorts like, what they're interested in. And now I almost feel more exposed. March 8th, Clubhouse Magic. Mostly I was a listener, but I brought a lot of people onto the show. It was amazing. It was so good. Oh, my God. And so he was talking about The Shining. Was it just him or or who else was in in the clubhouse? He brought a bunch of people up to ask questions. He also had somebody whose name I unfortunately do not know, but who was, uh, I think his name is Harry but he was a family friend of the Kubricks, the the family, and still is. So I shouldn't even say past tense, like present tense is still a family friend of the Kubricks and, and could speak to the dynamics of their daily functioning life where they live, as opposed to being like a film critic sort of person. And he's fantastic. Uh, it was it was amazing. But mostly it was just questions from the audience about like, hey, what questions about The Shining do you have? And it was great. Seriously great. I mean, like electric, like made made my fingertips tingle. Like, this is amazing. I, I'm recommitted to my theory that Clubhouse is onto something electric. Right. So is your, are your fingertips tingling? Like what, what percentage of it was because it was about Kubrick and The Shining, which is one of your favorite topics. And what percentage of it was like, oh my God, this clubhouse thing, like I'm I, I'm totally getting it right now. A little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. March 10th, Roblox. And there's the consistency among the experiences. And then on the flip side, all those games in 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 Roblox are not made by Roblox. They're made by uh, by people other people like in the, right. they have an app called Roblox Studio where you can create games and it's super easy to make again relative to like making an app like it's right. it's a much more bare bones sort of framework that's way more accessible and it's really this sort of a, a world on into itself uh that, that that's that's just different than anything else right and so it's sort of like you can't make any kind of game you you have to make a game that exists within the confines of the roblox universe right and so there are all these sort of like 3d blocky sort of games you, there's a capability that the, the sort of roblox engine has for put a certain way and you make games that fit within that but the within that sort of constraints like you can do anything you want and, and i think that bit about the constraints is really really interesting that was one of the points i kind of wanted to get to in my article is i actually think that's what makes it work the reason what makes roblox different than like say well it kind of sounds like a, a phone in an app store and it is but an app, a phone is almost too capable and the types of apps you can make are too broad to make it all sort of a consistent experience in the way you can with Roblox. Like the constraints are a benefit. March 12th, Roblox and Apple. I said before, like we've reached an end state where AWS and GCP and, and Azure are in the cloud and, and Android and iOS are, are on the mobile devices. And now we're going to build on top of that. And, and Roblox is something that's built on top of that. I think they're on AWS and, and they're on iOS and Android. And I feel very uncomfortable with the platforms underneath reaching up into the next layer of the stack and saying, no, we're going we're to control that too. And I'm glad Roblox exists. I don't know how it happened. 
but I think Apple should should relax about that and should let these other business models too. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that they're not on Nintendo either. I just I just looked it up to double check, but they're not on the Switch. And the Switch probably is a better fit for the demographic of Roblox yep. where it's yep. it's yep. like these 9 to 12-year-olds. And of course, it makes sense why Nintendo wouldn't and it want is famously, it. Famously, famously controlling about this sort of stuff. Right. So it does, but that makes the the exception of Apple and being on the App Store stand out because you would think Apple would be more like Sony or Nintendo, and it's. Like, I think here it speaks to the, the fact that we 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 have higher expectations for Apple and Android. Yeah. Like, I, I, if you think about it, it'd be we would feel out at least I would feel outraged if Apple turned around and blocked Roblox. Whereas like Nintendo, like well that that's that was the old model. The old model was the console and games, and the new model is platforms. And right. I iOS is a platform, not a console. Just to re, re, restart our fight, and that's where <laughs> I disagree with you. March fifteenth. What are NFTs? So the idea of Bitcoin, for example, is there's only a specified number of Bitcoins. And by the way, all those Bitcoins are are like unique in a way. Like they can be exchanged. They're totally fungible. You can change, you know, this Bitcoin for that Bitcoin, but there's only X number of Bitcoins. It's like oil or something, right? Oil is totally fungible. I can trade you my barrel of oil for your barrel of oil. But like it's still different oil, right? It's like the actual atoms are are distinct, even if they're the exact same type of atoms. Or like dollar bills. Like a dollar bill is a serial number on it, right? There's no $2 bills with the same serial number, but they're totally fungible. You can be exchanged them and, and so they're distinct. And the whole point of a blockchain is because you have all these, you have a disparate group of people all verifying at the same time who owns which. And so that 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 lets you have digital goods that you can send anywhere in the world. You can distribute. You have all the advantages of digital, but they're all distinct items. Okay. Good so far? Yep. All right. So an NFT just takes that idea where instead of every dollar bill having a unique serial number, but they're all totally fungible, it's like every dollar bill is like a, di- a different thing. Like I have a dollar bill. You have a, you have a Picasso painting. This person has a postcard and like, so they're, they're, but they're totally exchangeable. There's a market in that they, they can go back and forth and they can be verified that, oh, this is the only postcard in the world. This is the only Picasso in the world. This is the only whatever it might be, strategy drawing in the world. And it's verified by the blockchain, just like the, the individual Bitcoins are verified by the blockchain. March 17th, Google, Apple, and 15%. And that's exactly the way it should work for this program. It should be the first million dollars is 15%. And then every dollar above that is 30%. Like that's the way, and that's the way Google works. Right. It, it's a very rational program to your point that makes sense, is easy to understand, does well by the little guy. Does the big guy get a bit of a break? Yes, but it's worth it to keep the proper sort of incentives in place, which is you want people motivated to sell more, not to pull their app from the store because they're about to cross some invisible line. I'm very surprised that Apple didn't fix that during the beta. It, it, it seemed like something that is like, oh, yeah, there, there are some logical holes here. Well, here, before in between announcement and shipping it, we'll, we'll fix it up. And they didn't. It's apparently very confusing. Well, I, I think it just shows the motivation for it. Apple clearly, it, they feel pr- pressure, yeah. regulatory pressure about the App Store. And so they begrudgingly made this program and they took every care in the program not to do right by developers, not to make it easy for developers, but to ensure they it would cost them the minimum amount of money possible. And which means that they didn't want to be giving any sort of break to game developers. They want to be giving any sort of break to these big publishers they wanted to make sure they kept every dime they could from them and if that meant making small developers jump through multiple hoops and have bad incentives and so be it march 19th intel's bad ads 
Intel's in a hole right now. And you wrote this a few months a, a, a few months ago about when the right. new CEO came in and like, you know, and he said that Apple's kicking our rear end and he's right. Like they, they were, and that's a problem. And there's, it's a call to arms, but this is the wrong response if you're in a hole. You know, I'll admit it. It was a little bit of a back and forth with you. For me, late last night, you early in the morning, but that sort of clarified for me that, hey, what they needed was their version of Think Different. And again, when Apple, Apple, it's such a great ad campaign, but it wasn't, in no way was Apple saying, hey, we know we sucked for a couple of years, but we're going to come back. No, it was just an affirmation of what the company believed, but it was something that they could stand behind and know was true. We believe these things. These are, this is how we feel about our brand. And this is how we should feel about what we're going to be doing. And it's, it's a shot in the arm. And it, you know, it's why coaches, you know, it doesn't make any logical sense why good sports coaches can give a motivational speech at halftime that can make a team play better in the second half, but it works. That's what, you know, good coaches can make that connection and good company brands and commercials can have that same effect. And that's what Intel needs. It's like Intel trying to jump right to the part where they're making fun of Apple for leaving Intel without having any technology <laughs> to hang their hat on. March 22nd, Substack Controversy. It literally is anyone can go on the site. And so that's just from square one. It's impossible to say that they're employing all these people. Of course, it's a platform. But by by definition, if anyone can go on there, that means the vast majority are going to not succeed or not going to be sort of like paid sites or not going to like make a living for you. And honestly, from Substack's perspective, the more people that fail the better, because that means more people are trying, which means like some, some number is going to break through. Like they want to increase the rolls of the dice, the number of writers that are trying out so they can capture the few that sort of get on there. And, and then the question for Substack from a business perspective is how can they keep them? Right. You look at someone like Iglesias. It's like, why should he stay on Substack? Clearly he doesn't need Substack. Substack needs him. And that, that's, that's, that right there is what all these folks are missing. Like the, 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 their model in their head of the way value flows is completely backwards. March 24th, medium muddling. So what they're doing is instead of featuring publications, they're going to try to really feature individual writers that attract people. But unlike Substack, you don't subscribe to the individual writer. You subscribe to medium as a whole. So basically they're trying to build a bundle of individuals. Now, what's interesting is there is something that does make sense about this, right? Because the weakness in Substack is why can't the individual, you just said it, take their audience and go somewhere else? Like it's a, it is a real problem for them in the long run. Whereas if they're subscribed to Medium and they're big on Medium, then the individual is kind of stuck there, but also it's like a bundle. So there's kind of a benefit and you can kind of see theoretically where this makes sense, but. I, I, you know, making sense is a different than being successful. Why would anybody who thinks they're going to be a successful writer go to medium? Like, exactly. let's say, let's say I decided to give up on daring fireball as it is. And I had the choice and my only two choices were to move to Substack or to move to medium. There's it. There's no build my own option. There's no other thing. I, I would almost certainly go to Substack because I, I at least know that I, you know, my audience could follow me there and they would know that I'm getting 90% of the money that they would sign up for. And I'm pretty confident that, you know, a fair number of people who read Daring Fireball now would do that. Whereas if I went to Medium, how, how, how would I know I'm getting my fair cut? That I'm, I'm getting what's 
what's mine. March 26th, a different Intel. It's not like Intel's past 10 years have been fraudulent, but they clearly have been over-promising and under-delivering. And, and it's like every oh, single step of the way. again and again. So true. Yep. And it, it erodes faith in the company. And, and Gelsinger's complete acknowledgement that they've fall, you know, that, that they're in trouble and that they've missed deadlines. It, it gives you faith in them that they're going to hit the marks that he says they're going to mark. But it's, and, and, and once you start over promising and you get in the habit of not wanting to break bad news in a fully forthright way, it, it's like, it is a form of lying. And lies always lead to more lies. I mean, it's it sounds, you know, it's like a lesson, you know, you and I, I'm sure, you know, have both tried to like, teach to we're our going children. To Sunday school today. Yep. Right. You teach it to your children, your parents hopefully taught it to you. But anytime you get caught lying on anything in life, it, it does. It proves true. And, you know, op, uh, Intel's promises on when they're going to be able to deliver X, whether it's a new process or whatever, they've missed them consistently. And that, that uh, Gelsinger emphasized, that's not the Intel way, historically, when you go back to the origins of, of the company. March 29th, John gets jabbed. So, yeah, but- <laughs> I, I laugh. I'm laughing because they do. You do get a card from the CDC that has like, but it's just this card with your name written in ballpoint ink, and it's just I know. Know, John Gruber. Here's your birthday. It's you hilarious. got the, you got the first shot. It's it is like it, it, we've off. I've often laughed with my wife about like the lack of security on a social security card. You know that it's, it's exactly what you compare it to. It's like a, it's like a social security card, right? Like mine is my original from 1973, and it's tight. It's just something somebody put in a typewriter and typed out my name and and the number. That is exactly what my vaccination card is like. It is it is worthless as as any kind of actual proof that I've gotten it. You know, but that's but that's not that's what meant. But the U.S. sort of ends up backing into these terrible solutions where we use this social security number, which is literally typed on a card for everything in our life, right? And you know something's going to happen similar to the vaccination thing. There's going to be some haphazard sort of solution. Maybe right. it's going to be that CDC card and, and, and we're going to end up carrying it around with us. Right. It's, it is pretty funny. Anyway, my message would be to anybody listening, get in line, sign up, go check out the websites, and don't feel bad about it. It's, it's all happening here in the U.S. at least. So do it. March 31st, Amazon Twitter drama. Amazon is actually the model for why you want to have this in the tax code, where you want them to spend years and billions and billions of dollars investing and actually building things in the real world and employing a million people so that in the long run, yeah, if they if they pay lower tax in the long run, it's okay because the net gain society is so worth it. And so I, I actually... I do get frustrated at this particular line of question with Amazon in particular, not just because it's what we want to do, but also I think it is different than an Apple. It is different yeah. than a Microsoft, which are, which are abusing the law. They are, they, right. they are, that is a loophole. Amazon is actually following the spirit of the law in this case. No, I think that's a good point. And leaving Apple out of it aside, yeah, the Amazon thing, because what are they going to do? Charge higher prices to make a profit and give the profit to the shareholders? Use the profits to buy back the stock? These are things companies do. They're all legitimate. But Amazon's decades-long uh, strategy of using their profits 
to reinvest in the company and build that massive amounts of infrastructure is, yeah, it's exactly what you're talking about. It does feel like a no good deed goes unpunished sort of thing. Like Amazon yeah. is, is this is all about Amazon actually investing in America, actually building things in America, employing tons of Americans. And that's actually the root of all these complaints. And meanwhile, other tech companies that all they do is just employ a few coders in San Francisco are, are getting off scot-free. That was an interesting month. We 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 had a a bit of double dipping a lot in March. Uh, double dipped on Clubhouse, double dipped on Roblox, double dipped on Intel. But I felt like a good dithering month where we were sort of adapting and moving to stories as they sort of evolved. I feel like we've we've covered the rise and fall of Clubhouse already. I know. We need to do a proper dithering about it, but it it, it is feeling a little dead as of late. Yeah, it's like crickets chirping when I open it up. Yeah, you go to dithering.fm, you can subscribe for $5 a month or $50 a year, and you can load it right in your podcast player. Don't need to download a special app or anything. It's super easy. And yeah, I look forward to talking to you in April. Thanks, Ben.